Good morning. My name is Justin Shell, and uh, it's been a real privilege to be around the Redeemer Church family the last uh, 48 hours or so. Uh, the students in the learning community, then last night, for those that were able to be at the lecture, uh, just really enjoyed the warm fellowship uh, with you. So, um, yeah, thankful to be with you. Today we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. If you want to open your Bibles there or your electronic devices, we're going we're gonna to camp out there. But as you turn there, I want to um, have an exercise for you. And uh, I know this is a second service, so you're hopefully more awake than, the, than you would have been, say, two hours ago. But it's going to require a little imagination. So bear with me, all right? Um, imagine for a moment that you've received an invitation in the mail. And as you open it and begin to read it, your heart rate starts to rise. And by the end, um, by the end you're either, maybe you're shaking a little or you're bouncing in place because this is exciting stuff. You're so excited because you've been invited to an event. And so the first thing you need to know about this event is where it's happening. And so this is where I need your imagination. So where it's happening is the place, the venue that you've always wanted to go to. So think for a minute, where, would you, where have you always wanted to go? And for some of you, you might be thinking, well, AT&T Stadium, that's, you know, that's close by. It's a good, good venue. But think, maybe think broader, you know, feel free, Eiffel Tower, Venice, Italy, Grand Canyon, Machu Picchu. What is it? Where's, where's the place for you? Where is it for you? Chip and Joanna's house? I don't, I don't know. So wherever you are hoping to go, it's there. Uh, second thing you need to know is the entertainment. They have scheduled exactly the performance or showing that you've always wanted to see. Again, think for a minute. Think big. You know, is that Taylor Swift? Is that Garth Brooks? Is that Cirque du Soleil? Um, maybe you love art, and so every existing piece of art by Claude Monet is in one place, and you get to just go and, and see it all. What it, what's the, if you could see, hear, experience one thing, what would you, what would you, what would you want it to be? Comic-Con? I mean, anybody? No? Oh, I see some hands, Yes. But wait, there's more. Not not only is this in the the place you've always wanted to go, not only is the entertainment exactly what you've always wanted to see, but all the people that you want to be there will be there. Stretch your imagination. Who is that? Maybe family, friends. Maybe someone famous you've always wanted to meet, finally get that autograph or... Ask them that question. Maybe that special someone. Who's there? Who's there in that place you've always wanted to go? Um, listening to or watching the performance you've always wanted to see. And they're there with you and that makes it even better. Who is that? And maybe one more. Food. Right? All your favorite food is being served better, better than that. 
all the food you've always wanted to try at those restaurants that you've been meaning to get to or wish you could get to. It's all there. It's all there. It's like the buffet of heaven. Right? This smorgasbord of delicacies, savory dishes and sweet treats. It's all, it's all there. So that's the invitation you're reading. Right? Where you most want to be participating, observing, watching, listening to the entertainment you've always most wanted to experience with the people that you are most excited to be with, eating some really good food. So you're excited. Your pulse is through the roof. You notice a little further down the date and time. It's perfect. You've got nothing important happening that day. You are free. The time is perfect. And then your eyes land on the very bottom of the invitation. The last piece of information in your heart drops. Disappointment. Anger starts to grow. You, you now know there's no way you will be going to this event. In fact, you're incensed. You're furious that they'd even send you this invitation. What happened? What could you have read that would have made this amazing event unacceptable? This invitation unacceptable for you? you you've gone from, from sheer ecstasy to complete indignation in, in, a, in a second. What could it have been? Well, hold on to that thought. So we're going to look at it in a minute. Today we're in one of Jesus' parables here in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 12. Uh, if, you're, if you don't know that word, a parable is just a, a short story that's, that's, that's teaching, a, teaching a point, teaching a lesson, illustrating something that would be hard to get if, if you just came out and say it. In Luke 14, we're going to hear in this parable about an invitation. An invitation that ultimately comes from Jesus to you and to me. And the chapter starts with Jesus showing up at a dinner party. He's been invited. It's hosted by, um, by one of the leader of the Pharisees, one of the leaders of the Pharisees. If you know the Pharisees, you know that they are law-abiding citizens, right? They pick up after their dogs. They keep their music down. Um, you know, they're, they're good neighbors, in fact, they're so good that often they think, you know, God's pretty lucky to have me on his team. Um, of course, God wants me in his kingdom. Of course, God probably owes me maybe a little bit. I'm so good. If everyone else was a little bit more like me, wouldn't life be a little bit of heaven on earth? Uh, anybody ever think that way? Oh, I'm, I'm too much of a screw up to get there most days. But it's being hosted by the Pharisees. They often, we see in the Gospels, because of their good behavior, presume upon God. And so as Jesus begins to teach about the kingdom here in Luke 14, he's, he's saying things that is going to stretch their hearts a little bit. He's saying, in the kingdom of heaven, well, the servant is the greatest. In the kingdom of heaven, enemies become friends. When God shows up, then things get turned upside down. People who think they're unlovable become the most loved. 
People who feel like they're unacceptable, they find a home. So that's, that's kind of what he's doing in verses 12 and 14. He's teaching in a way that they're starting to understand something about the kingdom. And then this prompts one of the Pharisees in verse 15 to say, to say this. I'll just read the whole verse. When one of those who have reclined at table with him heard Jesus teaching these weird things about the kingdom, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Sounds like a really, a little bit of an odd response to what Jesus had been saying. But it's a true statement, right? Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It's his assumption that's the problem. This Pharisee, that, that, that he, he assumes that this will include him. But notice the first word in verse 16. But, see, Jesus, knowing all things here, lets us know that the Pharisee is missing something. First, um, Jesus knows that this man doesn't really yet understand what it means or, or what, it, what it looks like to get right with God, to be right with God. How's that happen? Well, is it by cleaning up after my dog? Is it... By going to church? Is it by these works? And second, and even more foundational, not only does this, this man not understand what it means to be right with God, he, he misunderstands God. He doesn't really understand what God is like, who He is, what His heart is like. And so Jesus here is telling a parable to graciously correct. Verse 16. Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. So first thing we do is we meet a man and, he, and he's throwing a banquet. We can assume he's probably wealthy because it's a, it's a great banquet and he has servants, right? And so... A wealthy man is having a party. That's, that's kind of all we know about him. Um, he has invited many, so you can, we can assume he, there's something about this man that wants people at his party. We don't know why yet. And he sends out his servant. The, the other thing that we really notice here is that the time for the party is now. It's time. You see, the way these, these kind of banquets worked in ancient Israel is that there would be two invitations. First, the servant would be sent out months in advance, maybe a couple months, and he would say something like, in two months' time, my master is putting on a banquet. You're invited. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have great food. Here's the entertainment. Here's, all the, here, here's what's going to happen. You're invited. Will you be there? And someone at that point would accept or decline the invitation. Will you be there? Um, because I'm going to be sent back a second time to tell you when it's ready. It'll be in about two months. But as soon as it's ready, I will come back and I'll let you know and it will be time. So the guests were already invited. They had already agreed to come and now the banquet, the celebration is ready. So the servant is sent out to say it's time. The time is now for the banquet. And as we go through the parable, time is going to become more and more urgent it's you know it's almost like 
these movies where you have this haunting sound. Da-na, 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 that builds as the moment of tension grows. Time becomes more urgent. But for now, let's, let's notice in the next verse the response of the guests. It says, but they all alike begin to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. What do we think? Good excuses? Let's try to get into the heads of these guests for a minute. The first one is purchase the field. Let me ask you, when would you want to see the field? Before you paid for it or after? Probably before. But let's just say you're wealthy enough to buy a field sight unseen. Hey, I heard it's a good piece of land. Here. Even so... What's keeping you from accepting, now following through with your acceptance of the invitation to this banquet? What's this guest really saying? We'll see in a minute. What about the second guest? Let's say you need to purchase five yoke of oxen. I don't know if anyone here has ever done that. Maybe cattle. Hmm. When would you have them examined? Before you pay for them? Or after? And having them examined, is that, how does that keep you from being able to follow through with your accepting the invitation? What's this guest really saying? The final guest, Lord bless him, he's gotten married. Yay. But this is really a mystery. Can someone help me understand the the connection between being married and not being able to attend a banquet? Ladies, maybe help me. Do newly married women not enjoy good food? Is Is that the point of this parable? What's this guest saying? All three of them. They're making the point that for some reason the time doesn't work for me. But if you'll notice what they're really saying is, I don't want to come to your banquet. The cares of this world, the distractions of responsibilities and hobbies, the the pull of other things they give their time and their love to is too strong. It seems that if if they just had more time, they would, right? If they just had more time, I would go, but I've got these oxen. And we often, we say similar things or think similar things, right? That I'll get serious about my faith after college, after retirement, after the kids leave, after something. It seems that we're just waiting for the right time, that there's something wrong with the time. But is that true? Is that the problem here? Is, is the problem with the banquet the timing? Are these sincere excuses? Are our excuses, the ones we make, are they, are they legitimate? 
Think back to that invitation you got in the mail, the one that you opened, the one you were so excited about, the one in that, that place that you've always wanted to go to, the one um, where that entertainment that you've always wanted to see will be, the one where they have all the food you want and you get to be there with your besties. Remember that invitation. What would make you say no to that invitation? You're reading back through it. You're remembering the food, the hors d'oeuvres, the entree, the dessert, the desserts, the champagne or grape juice, no pressure. Um, You remember who else is invited, the conversations you were looking forward to. What's the only reason? What's the only reason? If you're free and the date works for you, what's the only reason to not accept that invitation? Because you hate the host. Think about it. I don't want to go to his banquet. There's no way in the world I would go to her event. And maybe someone comes to mind for you who that is. Because all of your... There's nothing wrong with the banquet, right? There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's amazing. But we hate the host. What are these invitees saying? I don't want to, yeah, I have oxen, but I don't want to go to his banquet. And we do that. We put off following Jesus, going all in with him. Maybe, maybe we're hanging around church, but really we're, we're stiff-arming Jesus anytime his his agenda conflicts with ours. We, be, we begin to picture him as this demanding slave driver almost who's just trying to eke out of us all life and energy. Or maybe it's just the fear of missing out that trumps Jesus' invitation for ongoing, committed participation in his kingdom life. Oh, if I... If I join the church, they might ask me to work with kids or worse, teens. Well, the servant returns from this second round of invitations. He delivers the bad news here in the next verse. So the the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. If you again, if you study how these sorts of events would work in the ancient Near East to accept an invitation and then to give what is clearly a a personal attack as an excuse. Uh, One commentator, one biblical scholar said, it would be like declaring war. It would be a significant intentional offense. And so the the master of the house became angry, but what's he going to do now? He says to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city. Bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. The master's angry, right? But he responds by saying, okay, all all the well-to-do, the blessed, those who have enough, those who have had my invitation, who have been able to, they probably profited from him at some point in the past. They've rejected me. And if you read through the book of Luke, 
You encounter people again and again and again who they meet Jesus, and there's some, but there's something that keeps them from coming to him. They think they're healthy, and so they won't come to him to be healed. They think they, they don't struggle with sin, and so they don't, they don't think they need forgiveness. And so they reject Jesus. Instead, who comes to Jesus in the Gospels? Who comes to Jesus? The whore, the thief, the leper. Maybe our children's Bibles, you know, storybook Bibles will say, it's the big sinners that come to Jesus. In fact, earlier in Luke, in, in chapter 8, Jesus gets a nickname. Do you remember what they call him in Luke 8? You friend of sinners. Isn't that a beautiful nickname? Isn't that amazing? Just what a wonderful insult that is. You friend of sinners. I, I guess tone of voice matters. Friend of sinners. Friend of sinners. We've got a friend. What a wonderful insult. So here, my servant, go out and bring those that know they're helpless into my house. Bring those who never have had the good fortune. Couldn't even imagine ever being invited to a banquet like this. These outcasts, these, these dirty ones, I want them with me. The master wants them to come to his party. And so we're starting to understand his heart a little bit, aren't we? He could have dumped the food. He could have sold the decorations. He could have done something else to repurpose the event. Tried to get his deposit back from Garth Brooks or whoever was going to be there. But his heart is set on celebration. He's not trying to hoard his riches, but to share them. He's eager to bless. It's driving him. And so he says to the servant, go quickly. Go quickly. Friends, the time is getting shorter. His heart is bursting to give, but the time is running out. Go quickly. Now, verse 22, the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has already been done. I knew you would want that. You see that? He, he anticipates the heart of the master. I, what, you, what you just said, we, I've already tried it. But there's still room. I know you want your house full, but there's still room. So the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Master, I brought every helpless poor soul in the city. I know that's what you'd want. So I gathered everyone I could, but there's still room. I know you want your house filled, Lord. Well, what do we do? The master says, I don't want just our poor and needy. Go outside the city, travel to foreign places, bring in people that aren't like us, who are far off. The church throughout history has seen in this parable Jesus' call, His commission to go and make disciples of all nations. That it was never meant to be that, that only Israel would receive His blessing, His promises, would have access to God. One ex we could look from Genesis to Revelation and see 1,600 verses. 
that declare that. Isaiah 49.6 is one of those. It's a prophecy of the Messiah. And it reads, It's too small a thing for you to be my servant, Messiah, and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light to the nations that my salvation may come to the ends of the earth. It's too small a thing. It's too light a thing just to save Israel. I'm the God of all peoples, of all nations, of all the earth. So Messiah, I'm going to make you a light to all the earth. So the invitation is going out further to more and more people. The servant is now a missionary, right? And what's driving him as he goes is his master's heart. There's still room. There's still room in my house. Oh, that my house would be filled. So he tells the servant missionary, go out further. And not just to invite them, but what's the word there? Compel them to come. Compel them to come. Bring them in. Time is short. My heart is full. Compel them. So imagine the servant, he goes out. He leaves the city, starts down the road. He's such a good servant. Not because he's an INTJ on the Myers-Briggs. Not because he's got a certificate in project management. He's a good servant because he knows the heart of his master. And just imagine what he's saying to the men and the women that he encounters as he goes. Couldn't you imagine him saying something like, Friends, come. Come. If you only knew my master, he's so kind, he's so generous, and he wants you to come. He's prepared a banquet for you. Oh, oh, come. Would you come with me? He's, he's prepared a celebration for you. He wants you there. No, I'm not, I'm not kidding. He wants you there. Don't worry about how you look, what you're wearing. Don't feel shame. The master is going to put a white robe on you. He's going to walk you in himself to the banquet. Oh, his heart's bursting with love. If you only knew him. If you only knew my master. Oh, don't delay. Come quickly. Now's the time. I can't wait for you to meet him. He's, he's prepared a feast. All the best food to fill your emptiness. All the best comforts. All the best comforts to ease your sorrow. All of his riches given for you. All that he has. He, he wants to share it with you. Will you come? What an evangelist. Come. This is often called the great banquet, this parable. Maybe at the top of your Bible it says the, the parable of the great banquet. I think it'd be better to say the parable of the great master. Isn't he good? The servant knows this, so he goes out. This is the heart of the master. This is the heart of Jesus. Just a few verses earlier at the very end of chapter 13, Jesus is approaching Jerusalem and this is what he says over the city. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. How I want to love you. I want to help you 
But you are not willing. Are we willing? Have we found ourselves, whether you would call yourself a Christian or not, whether you attend church regularly or not, have we found ourselves some odd reason, trying to be excused from Jesus' invitation to feast with Him, to be with Him. Maybe we think we don't need rescue, that we're doing all right. I don't meet many people like that anymore. And that's a good thing. I don't meet many people that say, I'm... I've got it all together. Far more often I meet people who couldn't imagine that this could be true for them. You must be joking. It can't really be that good. He can't really be that good. But I also meet people that are just busy. More work. More parenting, more school, more hobbies, more sometimes even religious activities. But we've seen through all of those now, haven't we? What's the only reason to say no to Jesus' invitation? We're not going to find a better one. Because we don't really believe that He is as as, as good as He says He is. We don't really... Love him. We love these other things more. But we've seen, we've seen his heart now. He desires that his house would be filled. We can never say to Jesus that we care more about the lost or the hurting than he does. We can't. You'll never outlove Jesus. Whatever we might accuse him of, we cannot accuse him of being cold, distant, and uncaring towards humanity. We can't anymore. We've seen his heart. It's too late now. And that's how the, how the parable ends. It ends with Jesus saying, go, tell the world that they're welcome. But He does have one more, uh, one more thing to say to those that are there in the room with Him listening. And we know this is Jesus speaking, not the Master in the story. We know that because every time the Master speaks to His servant, He uses the and the grammar nerds out there will, will like this, but he will use the singular form of you. Right? But Jesus is about to address the group that's there in the room, and he doesn't use the word for you, he uses the word for y'all. Right? And so, starting back in verse 23, the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways, hedges, Compel people to come in that my house may be filled. And you can just imagine Jesus looking up and looking around the room at that point and saying, For I tell you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. The shocking thing is... It's not because he doesn't want them there. I would have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you were unwilling. They'll never taste my banquet. 
They've rejected the invitation. They've rejected Jesus, the host. How do you get excluded from the kingdom of God? It's not by sinning. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Right? It's not because of shame. Maybe something that's happened to you. Or something that, come. Come, I'll wash you clean. I will clothe you. I'll bring you into my family. I can handle shame. You're not excluded by being needy, broken, sorrowful, poor in spirit, not having it all together, being an overall mess. Actually, all of those are kind of requirements to come to Jesus. You are excluded from the kingdom because you've rejected Jesus. You've rejected His invitation. You love something else more. Maybe it's your ways, your life, your identity, your desires, your autonomy over Him. If you could have the banquet without Jesus, you might do it. If you could be sure that there wasn't something else better. But banquet is ready. Now's the time. Now's the time. If you only knew him, he has prepared a feast for you, all the best food to satisfy your longings, all the best comforts to ease your sorrow. The book of Revelation says every tear wiped away from every eye, whatever the hurts are that you would bring to Jesus, he is friend of sinners I want to look one more time at a couple more verses for us not here in Luke if you don't know Jesus this invitation it really is for you and he really does want his house filled he wants you to be a part of filling it If you do know Jesus, isn't it sometimes easy to slip into thinking of Jesus as a as not this warm hearted, overflowing, giving kind of master? But some for some reason we start to think of him as as this taking, kind of demanding, give me, give me, give me sort of master. Friends, that's not Jesus. That's not what He's like. In fact, we read in Revelation 19.9, John is writing this, the Apostle John, and there's an angel there with him. And the angel, it says, the angel said to me, write this down. So when an angel tells you to write something down, you do it. So what's he writing down? Blessed are those who invited, who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Friends, this isn't just any kind of banquet that we're invited to. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so we're not just invited to go and be there. That would be good enough in a lot of ways, right? Just to be there. We're not invited there just to go and and wait tables there at this great banquet and maybe 
you know, get some good food while we're there. You're actually invited because your bridegroom wants you there because he wants to celebrate your union with him. Can you believe that? Can you? Are you kidding me? Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so between now and Jesus' second coming, when He returns to bring His kingdom in its fullness, between His first and second coming, this is the invitation that's going out. In Revelation 22, just a few pages over, we find out what is the Spirit of God and what is the church, the Bride of Christ, doing in this in-between time as we wait for Jesus to return and for this wedding feast. As the time gets shorter and shorter and shorter, we read Revelation twenty-two seventeen: The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Come. Let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Why would we say no to this invitation? Don't say no to this invitation. His heart is full and he wants his house filled. You are invited. The banquet is ready and the time is short. His heart is for you. Oh, if you only knew him. Let's pray. Father, we can't hardly believe it. I confess, I can't hardly believe it. This could be true, but it is. And so we pray you would increase our faith. We pray that we would see the goodness, the kindness of Jesus, and we would run to him. We would see all of our excuses for what they are, just empty, empty. We'd run to the one who would fill us. Oh Lord, increase our faith. You are good. You're so good. You're lovely. You're kind. We praise you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.